I invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to Psalm 8, where we read a little bit earlier. In a recent publication titled Self-Made by Tara Burton, she records this true incident. In January of 2020, a high-end fitness chain called Equinox debuted one of its most lavish and lavish advertising campaigns, titling this is what it said, Make Yourself a Gift to the World. The ad featured young men and women whose build and beauty evoked images of mythological demigods, she says, of ages past. According to Draga 5, which was the market studio that ran the ad campaign, they said the posters were supposed to depict, and I quote, divine characters as godlike gifts to the world in moments and situations that reflect, listen to this, reflect their self-worship as serving a larger purpose for humanity. The campaign's commercial takes the theme of divine self-obsession even a little bit further because in the campaign ad, they retell the story of Narcissus, I should say, the infamously handsome Greek demigod who fell in love with his own reflection in a pool and loving himself so much he fell in and drowned. They take the moral warning of that story and turn it on its head And they make it positive. In fact, self-obsession, the narrator says, turns narcissists into a gift not just for himself to treasure, but a gift that brought the whole world pleasure. In other words, the more you're selfish, the better people are. With a wink to the viewer, she writes, the narrator concludes by asking us, does that not make self-obsession the most selfless thing in the world? The message of the advertisement is clear. Join Equinox Gym. Of course, they wait to the end to tell you it starts at $250 a month. And you're locked into a whole year at one time. But you you can be God's gift to the world. In fact, it says, maybe you can be a kind of God yourself. The idea that we are self creators and self makers is encoded in almost every aspect of our Western contemporary life. We not only can, but our social media tells us should customize, create, and curate every facet of our lives to reflect our own inner truth. Listen to Tara Barton again as she talks about how we became gods in our self-creation culture. She says, and I quote, Our faith in the creative power of self-fashioning goes hand-in-hand with the decline of the belief in our older model of reality, a God-created, God-ordered universe. She goes on to say, I believe we have not so much done away with the belief in the divine as much as we have relocated it. Listen to this. We have turned our backs on the idea of a creator God out there, and instead we have placed God within ourselves. Our obsession with self-creation is an obsession with the idea that we have the power that once only God had. To make ourselves and our realities, not in our image or God's image any longer, but in our own image. And to that extent, she says, we have become gods. 
Psalm 8, standing in complete contrast to that whole line of thinking, is all about reinforming us of the most basic truth that we are not God. We are not God at all, in fact. We are not self-made, Psalm 8 says. We are God-made. And it wants us to know that right off in the middle of the the very climax of the psalm in verse 5, it says it plainly. You have made him. God, it says, has made us. And it reestablishes the vast chasm, if you haven't figured it out, the vast chasm between creator and creature. Famously, Horace Greeley once attributed with this saying, I am a self-made man to whom someone else once said, replied, yes, I've heard him say that many times, and he certainly worships his creator. Which one are you? See, who is your creator? Who designed you? Who has the authority in your life? So we all have to choose this morning. Is it you or is it God? Two questions. Please answer them now and throughout the time we have this morning. Do you believe that you are self-made or God-made? That is crucial. But to get past perhaps your conscience, which isn't always honest with you, let me ask a second question. Do you behave like you are God-made or self-made? Because that's the truth of the first question, isn't it? The answer to the questions, those two questions, and how you answer them this morning will determine numerous things. They will determine how you view reality. And believe it or not, you may think, is there only one reality? Look around our culture. People make up their own all the time. How you view your identity and how you live out that reality and identity every single day. So Psalmist David says this, you are not God, but you are God made. And that is absolutely crucial. That distinction and have both of those in the equation. So what does Psalm 8 tell us about what it means to be God? And what does it tell us about what it means not to be God? In a nutshell, it tells us that God's glory is superior to human glory. Creator glory excels and exceeds infinitely above creature glory. Let me take them one at a time and unpack them this morning. Creator glory, verses 1 and 2. The, this verse, I should say this psalm, has an, a bracket in it. You'll see it. Verse 1 and verse 9 are almost identical. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic, how magnificent, how mighty, the Hebrew words, is your name. Your name is God's identity. And what brackets this text and what the psalmist wants us to see as we try to figure out and find who we are. We have to start with the most important piece, and that is who God is. And it begins and ends with that. And you would think that this is obvious to everyone, even people like you and I who come to church. But in our practice, in our daily living, it always is not. See, this is who God is. He is majestic. He is mighty. The Bible goes on to say, look at 8.1. And how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. God not only says how great he is amongst the angels, but God in his glory and his greatness has gone public. It says in all of the earth, God's design for all of us as his creatures, every one of us, and it doesn't matter whether you're an animal or a star or a planet or a human being, the design of all creatures is that our existence at its very core All of its expressions would be to glorify God. Because in heaven and in earth, he is supreme. He is above all else. He has glory, God glory. 
We do not. The Bible says in verse 2 that we are, as human beings, to point to him. Jesus himself actually quotes Psalm 8 and verse 2. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21, he is in the temple. It's on the day that he is riding into town, and he has proclaimed himself to be king, to be ruler. And he's in the temple, and the children outside, they are crying out to him, Hosanna to the highest. They are giving him praise. And the leaders tell Jesus, stop them. They shouldn't be saying that about you. And Jesus quotes this verse, out of the mouth of babes and infants, God has appointed praise. In other words, they can't stop. This is what these children were designed to do. And I don't believe he limited it only to children. It's all of us. We are creatures, he says. Why would I stop them? In another version of this text, it says, if they stop, the stones would cry out. See, because whether you're a child or you're a stone, the purpose is... To glorify God. That's who he is. That's who he is compared to us. And here's the point. And we are to get our identity and purpose from who he is. There's nothing more characteristic of our modern life in America than the search for identity. It permeates books. Read them by the dozens. It's in TV shows and movies. It's constant in our culture Identity, making not a name for God or glorifying his name, but making a name for ourselves. David in Psalm 8 is basically saying that you should have your identity rooted in the creator, not the creation and not in the creature. But in our culture today, most people, even some of God's people, seek to identify what they are and who they are apart from him. The creator has taken second place to the creature, this is a horrible, horrible tragedy and sin. Romans 1 alludes to it when it says this, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and have worshiped the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Romans 1 is now being fulfilled in our day. And as a result of the modern mantra, which does not say, see, be who God wants you to be, But instead, be who you want to be. Be true to yourself. Just be you. A poll was taken not that long ago, and it surveyed this. 91% of Americans say to find out who you really are, you have to look inward to find your truth. That That reality is all over the place. In fact, 2017, there was a movie released, and perhaps you even saw it, The Greatest Showman starring Hugh Jackman. Inside that movie was a very popular song, and the title of it is This Is Me. Listen to the lyrics. Look out, here I come, and I am marching to the beat I drum. I'm not scared to be seen. I make no apologies. This is me. It doesn't matter what you want to be and whether anybody likes it or not. In our culture today, This is who you are. You've made yourself to be who you are. And whatever you want to be, everybody should accept it as normal. Expressive individualism, self-made self, that's the common denominator in our day. Identity, for all of us who grew up a little earlier, a few decades ago, our identities are no longer formed or shaped as in previous generations by your family or your church or where you grew up or shared values in a community. Today, the only thing that really matters is self. Unfortunately, this approach 
this self-approach to identity has also made a world impact almost more than any other thing in our day. And that's proven by Frozen, Elsa's song. Go on the internet and YouTube. It has been played 1.5 billion times. One man said it was the most popular song in the history of the world. The song is Let It Go, and she speaks for billions. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. Listen, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I am free. I am free. Nobody can tell me who I am. That today in our culture, in our society, is what freedom, quote unquote, is all about. Identity formation is no longer a dialogue between you and your parents or you and God or you and your community. It is a monologue. It is just you. You deciding. You do you. Do it yourself, identity. See, we have become a nation of individuals who have drank the Kool-Aid of worldly wisdom to the point now that we could care less what anybody else thinks, especially when it comes to answering the question, who am I? A number of years ago, there was a collection of five books that were put together, and the title was called Wisdom. If you read it, you will find that there's hardly wisdom there at all. It's a compilation of interviews by Andrew Zuckerman with some of the world's most elite, and this is their word, elders. Nelson Mandela, Madeleine Albright, Oprah, Dalai Lama, Buzz Aldrin, and the like. The book was an attempt to share these famous people's wisdom for how you should live your life. The first book began with two pages, side by side, with nothing on it except this phrase, nobody can teach me who I am. That's what they wanted you to know. If you wanted wisdom for life in a sentence, don't let anybody tell you who you are. That pseudo-wisdom one author has called lie identity because it is. It's a lie. So, Pastor Walker, how do we find out who we are? How do we understand our identity? We cannot, Psalm 8 says, we cannot understand who we are unless we know who he is. That's why it's bracketed that way. That's why it begins and ends with the Lord and how magnificent and who he is in his name. See, As many would want you to believe, your identity is not so much a psychological issue as it's a theological issue. That's why it's important to know your creator and who made you and why we look to the Bible and we turn to God's word to find out who we are. Because the Bible, like Psalm 8, is completely countercultural to looking inward. I am my feelings. I am my thoughts. I am my desires. Or looking outward, I am my beauty, I am my looks, I am my intelligence, I am my job or my accomplishments, which too many people see themselves as defined by. But rather, the Bible says we don't look inward, we don't look outward, we look upward. He, as our creator, is the only one who has the right to tell us who we are, and that's why we look to him. That has incredible Incredible repercussions. If God is the creator God, then you cannot live how you want to. If God is the creator king, that means this. He made you and he owns you. 
We need to honor and glorify him with our lives. That's what we were designed for. That's what we are created for. That is the very purpose of our lives. And to live differently and contrary to that is to live a life of misery. No purpose, no aim. So I want to take, in the last part of the sermon tonight, this morning I should say, and I want us to look at not only what it means not to be God, but what it means to be created by him. That's verses 3 through 8. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, here is where it's supposed to lead us. When you look at creation, when you look at all the stars, when you look at everything, what is supposed to be the conclusion? The conclusion is this. Why does God pay any attention to me at all? Not that I'm the center of the world. Not that I'm the creator. But the creator is so awesome and great. Why would he give me the time of day? We used to call this growing up. My, mom, my dad used to tell me, son, you need to be put in your place. And my mom from the south, she used to say, don't get too big for your britches, boy. And that's what the psalmist is doing. He's putting us in our place. He says, God is the alone magnificent and majestic. God is the creator. God made everything. And you look at the universe and you look at the sky like David did and you see the power of God, the wisdom of God. And here's what you're supposed to see, how great he is and how you are not. I talked to the Matthias not too long ago and not too long ago they went on a trip to Iceland and they saw the northern lights and they showed me pictures. It was so beautiful. I've never seen them in person. That would be a great trip someday. But it's amazing, and that's just as small as Job would say, that's just the fringes of his ways. Do you know, and as far as we know, there are 100 billion galaxies in our universe. And that's only what we know. And they think that we know somewhere between 10 and 20% of what is out there. So imagine. 100 billion galaxies, and each one of those have 100 billion stars in them. There are more galaxies, I'm sorry, there are more galaxies in the universe than grains of sand in all the beaches in the world. God says in Psalm 8, verse 3, these are the work of my fingers. God says, I personally made everything that's in creation. These are my works. This is my design. You look at all that God's fingers have made and you ask, why? Look at what he can do. Look at the power. Why does God, listen, why is he mindful of me? Why does he actually care for me? And the idea is that he actually does. That he doesn't spend his time, spending most of his time thinking of the sun, moon, and stars, but rather thinking about us. Our identity as creatures comes from and flows from the relationship that we have with him. He made us. Imagine this. Let this sink deep in your mind as it did for me. The God whose fingers fashioned hundreds of billions of galaxies and hundreds of billions of stars, the same fingers personally made you. Read Psalm 8 and Psalm 139 side by side sometime. The Bible says, here's what the designer did for you. Formed my inner parts. Listen to the words. Knitted me, put me together purposely. 
When I was made in secret, when you saw my unformed substance, when, when you were next to nothing, God says, I took and made you exactly what you're supposed to be. See, God's the creator. He's designed you. He's made you. There is a purpose for your life. There is a meaning for your li- his life. He is mindful of you. He does care. He does know every detail of your life. If you're suffering, if you're struggling, if you feel alone, he knows all of it. In fact, the psalmist says, God in amazement, how vast are your thoughts to me? Do you know God's thoughts for you are more than the galaxies and stars? He has thought of you far more than anything he's ever created. God knows every detail of you. So, so that's awesome, Pastor Walker. What does that mean? It means this. You hear him saying this to you this morning? Stop trying to be your own creator. It won't work. Stop trying to create meaning for yourself. I've already made meaning for you. I designed you to be who you are. I lovingly have done all of these things because I want you to live out the purpose that will make you the most joyful and will give me the most glory. You are not self-made. You are God-made. You are God-designed, not self-designed. Psalm 8 and verse 5, you have made him, listen, See it? A little lower than the heavenly beings. God's glory, do you remember in verse 1? Where is it? Above the heavens. Where are you? Lower. Do you see what the psalmist is doing? He wants to create this chasm. He wants you to see yourself in light of who God is. God's glory is up here. Your glory, it's real, but it's down here. It's lower. The angels have more glory in that sense than you and I do. You see the psalmist, he's trying to say, do you see the difference yet? Do you get it yet? It was your glory, your fingers, you have set in place, you have made him, you have given him dominance, you have, you have put all things under his feet. Do you see what he's saying? It's always all about God. All the things in life that you enjoy and could have are all because of him. You are not the source of it, not at all. And the Bible says in verse 5, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Crowned him with glory and honor. You were designed, whether you recognize it or not, as someone who's been made the image of God, you were designed to be in God's royal family because you have been crowned. You have been crowned and you had a subservient secondary authority that God has given to us. We are to rule and reign. And he lists over all the animals in the text. You see it after verse 5? Everything and all the creatures that were not made in God's image, we were meant to rule them all. We were meant to have authority all over all of them. But when we sinned in the garden, we lost that right. We forgot that we weren't God. Do you remember what Satan said? to Adam and Eve about why God placed rules in the garden about the tree? Because God knows this, that the day that you eat of it, you shall be what? Like God. That you can be the arbiter of knowing good and truth right. You can be the one who decides what's right and wrong in your life. You see, when you are living this morning, perhaps contrary to God's word, you know what you have done? You have taken God off the throne and you have sat down. You have not removed the belief in the divine, but rather you have relocated it in yourself. 
Your disobedience, like Adam and Eve's, proves the fact this, that we are not happy with the crown that we have been given. We want to assume his. We want to take over. We are not happy that he is the source of glory and we only are capable of reflection. Do you remember the line in Shakespeare's Hamlet who said this? What a piece of work is man. How noble in reason, how infinite in faculty. In action, how like an angel. In apprehension, how like a god. And then he says, at the same time, he is nothing but a quintessence of dust. You know what a quintessence is? A perfect example. It says, you know what he's saying? Hamlet's saying this. You know, man is all these things. But you know, when it comes down to it, he's really just nothing more than just a piece of dust. That's putting you in your place, isn't it? That's what we are. But by and large, our culture has not bought into that reality. John Stuart Mills wrote a book, famous, on liberty, it's called. And in it, he says this in a sentence. Over himself, over his own mind and body, the individual is sovereign. And that is our day. You can do what you want with your body. You can put on your body what you want. You can change your body however you want. You know why? Because it's your mind, it's your body, it's your existence, and it's all about you. Create yourself. Do what you want to do. You are sovereign. And you can only believe that if you have made yourself a god. The tension between what God has made us with and that we are but dust has all but been lost in our day. We are no longer sovereigns. We are not ever been sovereigns. We are creatures. We have been made to be owned by God who alone can love us and help us to understand who we are and how that we should live. If we believe that, our children will not rebel against the authority of their parents. We would not only give token obedience to the word of God. If we accepted the crown that we've been given, we would be able to put ourselves in the place that we truly are and be able to see ourselves in light of God and live accordingly. But by and large, we do not. We want the crown that doesn't belong to us, and it shows. See, that's really our problem. Francis Schaeffer said, that's who humanity is. They are glorious ruins. That's what we are. We are glorious because we've been made in the image of God like nothing else, but we have ruined it, ruined it in our sin, ruined it in our self-fashioning, in our self-making, in our self-creating, in our self-autonomy. We have ruined it. We have tried to usurp the throne and the crown from the creator himself. And we have failed to image God in everything that we are and everything we do. But I have good news. That's not where the story ends. Did you know that the one who became man, actually the son of man, as Psalm 8 indicates, he actually came, and you know what he did? He laid down his crown so he could wear ours. See, our cracked crown is only symbolic of the thorough division of crack between us and God because of our sin. But Jesus who isn't just made in the image of God, he is the image of God, Hebrews 1.3. 
See, he came to do what we could never do, live in such a way that in everything we do and say that we reflect God's glory back to him. He did it, and he did it perfectly, and he did it sinlessly, and he did it vicariously because without it, we would be lost. Our failure would be final, and there'd be nothing more that we could do. But he took off his crown to wear ours. We call it Easter. See, he took our crown of thorns, the crown that was truly symbolic of who we have tried to be as self-creators apart from God. He took up our crown and he put it on and he died in our place on a cross. Shame and dishonor, not honor and glory. See, he deserves glory and majesty, but he died in a way that was completely opposite of that. And he died it so that you could this morning be brought here and hear a message about repenting, repenting of self Fashioning, self-identity, self-purpose, self-meaning, self-living. He died and wore your crown. And he'd asked you this morning, in light of his word in Psalm 8, to call on your creator to recreate you. Nothing short of that will do. How bad and desperate is it that we have become self-creators? All you have to do is look at the cross and see Jesus there and what he was going through and what he did to know how bad off we really are and where self-creation can take you. See, the Bible says, if you know Christ, if you're in him, old things are passed away and all things have become new. You are a new creature. That's what you need. Nothing short of this. This isn't about remodeling. This isn't about stapling onto the outside of your life some better habits in the new year. This isn't turning over a new moral leaf. This isn't trying to become the person that you think that you should be. This is about being new. This is about being recreated by the creator and not yourself. See, the story is how we became gods. But the other part is how we became godless and how we need Jesus, the true son of God, to take our place and wear our cross. Will you? Will you stop trying to take his crown and believe that he wore yours, that he died in your place for your sin and only he as God, can create you new. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, I'll see some of the songs from those movies I quoted today. It's not just catchy, is it? Not for all of us. Some of us, it's reality. It's really what we think and how we, I'm not going to have my parents tell me who I am. I'm not going to let the church tell me who I am. I'm not going to let my pastor, my friend, no. I'm sovereign. And you really believe it. God brought you here today to tell you this simple message. You are not God. You do not have the right to do whatever you want with your body, to live however you want. You don't. He brought you here not just to condemn by any stretch. He came to tell you this. 
I'm your creator, and I have thoughts about you, vast thoughts about you. I'm mindful of you. I know what you're going through. I know the struggles. I know the lies that you're believing, and I know where they're taking you and where they've already taken you and the trouble it's been and the hardship and how you're going to wreck and become a glorious ruin even more so if you continue down this road. He brought you here today that you could see, you could see this, that the throne of heaven is already occupied and will always be. He brought you here to tell you I've made you and I can remake you if you'll let me. That I shed my blood through my son to die with your crown on so that I could give you a new one someday. Will you? Oh, to repent of self-identity and self-authority and self, all the self-things that go with it, really is a new lifestyle, and that's what's necessary. And only God, the creator through his son Jesus, can provide such a change. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, would you be here this morning and say, Pastor Walker, I'm not God. I'm not even like a God. And I understand in light of who he is, who I am, and I have not lived that out. Not as a Christian. Oh, I know he's supposed to be in charge. I know that he has a purpose and plan. I know my life is supposed to reflect his glory, but I'll have to be honest, it has not. So many habits, so many things, my words, my thoughts, my morals, my idea, what I watch, the music, how I dress, I mean, inside and out. I am not living as if I'm God-made. But I need to. More than that, and I want to repent of it. I want to eradicate the sinful selfishness that I've allowed to control my life. I want to live different, new, as a believer, as I ought to for his glory. Please, here's my hand. Pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up and I'll do that? All over the balcony, main floor. Put your hand up and I'll pray for you. Let God be my controller. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Anyone else? I need to repent. God is my control. Thank you. Perhaps you're here with every head bowed and every eye closed and you've never come to know Jesus. And that's the reason why you're serving and worshiping the creature over the creator because you don't know him. But you can today. He's had all kinds of thoughts about you already, and he's cared for you. That's why he brought you here today. So you could hear the gospel, the good news, that he took your crown. Pastor Walker, I don't know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I now know he died in my place for my sins and rose again. I've never realized why he had to do that for me, but I do today, and I want you to know I need him. I need him. Please pray for me that today would be the day that my creator becomes my king. Would you just slip your hand up and I'll pray for you as well. Thank you. See your hand. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Main floor, balcony. Thank you, young lady. I see your hand too. Anyone else? Father, creator, King.
That's who you are. Master, you are the Lord of all things in heaven and earth. And we desire to bring you glory. That's what we are designed and made for. That's our purpose. But there are those who indicated by raising their hand this morning as believers that they know that's the reason why they live. That's why God recreated them. But they don't live that way. They don't behave that way. It isn't obvious in their life that you are in charge. I pray for them, Father, that you would grant them genuine godly sorrow that leads to repentance and change, transformation that only could be accomplished by your grace through your spirit and word. Use us to help them in that change in their lives. For those few who raised their hand today indicating that they don't know the Creator, but they desire to, we believe that's only possible because you put that desire in their heart. We pray that you would fulfill it And them coming forward today and letting someone take the scriptures and show them what it means for Jesus to wear their crown. And we'll thank you for these rich blessings for it's in his name, his matchless name. Amen.